Linux Out Loud is firing up our microphones, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banner friendly, the conversation while somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we are expounding off about the problems of being a fanboy slash fangirl. Let's get into it on episode 30. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwork. And with me today, we have Sinister Wendy, who, despite everything, will give you the best photo you can ever take. And Nate, the person who epitomizes basically the open source of fanboy. Well, thank you. Well, I missed you both last week, but I still had some fun with notifying everybody that there wasn't a full show. I thought it was really clever how you did it. I super enjoyed the Magneto interview. It made me want to, like crack open a cold one and hang out with him it really did well sounds good come on over i'll smoke something it's a bit of a drive <laughs> yeah it's a bit of a drive it's definitely a bit of a drive for you for both of you but maybe someday maybe someday we'll figure it. right <laughs> so wendy while we have been away what have you been up to besides interviewing magneto and telling us about how he breaks all this technology <laughs> Well, I've gotten to play with my Spike Prime robot a little bit more. We've now had, what, I think three different meetups. I guess now four different meetups, including the original failed kickoff because we didn't have our parts yet. So four different meetings with our team. Everything's coming together. We've added three new kids. So we have a total of nine. And I was talking to the co-mentor yesterday because I've really been struggling with some of the code for my robot. And part of that has to deal with I'm using last year's mat. It got a little bit wrinkled up in places because some people who we were sharing a building with weren't very respectful of our property. And so stuff got set on it or moved and not laid back down flat. And so the mat does have some issues. And when it comes to the motors on the Spike Prime robot, if the mat isn't laying down flat, there can be some extra slippage of the wheels and the motor. So that can be really frustrating because if that's the case, if it's related to the mat, it's hard to get any consistency there. I have stretched out the mat and taped it down to help with some of that. But in talking to her, I was complaining about steering the motor. So I've got two different drive motors. I have them set as a motor pair inside the code. And one is definitely stronger than the other. I don't know if it's the way it's geared. I don't know whether that board is just getting more power or whatnot because I haven't played too much with that. Or maybe one motor in and of itself is weaker but we have a tendency to veer one direction instead of going straight. And I've been trying to compensate for that inside the code. So when you are telling a motor pair to move, you're setting the distance that it's going, the units that you're using, you can add the speed in percentage that it's going during that time. And then you can also add steering. So positive would be to the right, negative would be to the left from zero to 100 on either side of that scale. 
sometimes it was helping, but we were still just off in places. And I was noticing when it came to turns that my code was just getting way too long, way too convoluted, where it was harder to read certain things. So today I've probably spent most of today, 90% of my day playing with a robot. It's amazing how once I start messing with it, playing with the code that I could be like, oh crap, I need to record a show in 30 minutes. I guess I better go do XYZ before that happens. That was kind of how today goes. And I have cleaned a lot of things up. That's very cool. And I applaud all the work you're doing to figure that out. I hope that you can get it you know, dialed in the way you want. And I'm really interested in hearing more about like what your final solution is going to be on making all those adjustments, because I find that incredibly fascinating. I mean, there's the whole thing. And I'm kind of upset that I don't have a robot like yours right now. You can always get one. I've shared the link on how to pick one up. And you can definitely look for a team in your area. Oh, I know. The cubicle team. The cubicle team. Of course, <laughs> if you want to play with it, then you need your own robot because us as mentors are not allowed to do that. I need my own team. It's the team's job. Yes. A team of me. Team of you. You can't compete, but it's all good. <laughs> I can compete against myself. There you go. You know, you're only competing against yourself. Like that's those um, malarkey things that people tell you. You're not competing against anybody else. You're just competing <laughs> against yourself. Right. That means you're playing alone. That means nobody's playing with you. It's okay, Nate. We still <laughs> love you. Well, I don't know about Matt. I shall refrain <laughs> from commenting because I don't want to make anybody mad. Yes, don't upset anybody again, Matt. You're very good at that. Bad Matt. <laughs> well, if you want a bad Matt. Wow. My Sousa keyboard brush. <laughs> yes. It's really nice. I really like it. <laughs> See? It's my only friend. There you go, Wendy. There's your bad Matt. Beep. I mean, if I'm going to be get claimed uh, that, you know, it's a bad Matt, then okay, I'll jump into the deep end of the pool. Sure. Why not? <laughs> May as well. In for a penny, in for a pound. I'll just go for the pound first as opposed to the penny. <laughs> exactly. Nate, you're not typically known as our gamer, but you found some open source games from Flathub. I am super excited and curious about what you found, what the gameplay is like, and if you recommend it. Well, this is sort of a um, call to Linux Saloon where we are testing or playing open source games just to try them out on Flathub, just to see what we think of them. Hashtag shameless plug for Linux alone. Yeah, it's absolutely a shameless plug. There's no shame at all in that. So the game I've been testing out is called Tuxemon. Now, I don't like to openly admit that I play Pokemon because I don't want people to know that, but I've been playing some Pokemon and I was just browsing through the Flathub games section. I saw something called Tuxemon, which is like a Game Boy Advanced era looking game that's instead of having, you know, proprietary and owned by Game Freak characters, you know, like your Charizards and Squirtles and whatever else, Pikachu, they are just Creative Commons open characters and they have some of the same play dynamics, but then with you know, their own spins on it. And you can network play and, and have like multiple people playing in, a, in an open world and, and so forth. I haven't gotten that far yet, but I have been playing the game. There's a lot of like tongue-in-cheek humor in it, which I really enjoy. I feel like it's very well done and has the same kind of feel as the Pokemon games. So it's been fun to play and we're going to talk about it on Linux Saloon, which, you know, when this is published, it'll be passed already. I feel like there's a lack of conversation about some of these really good open source games that are out there. And I just want to highlight that. I've even emailed the creator or the contact of Tuxemon to see if anybody's interested in chatting with us. Who knows? I guess, you know, by the time this thing publishes and that will be answered. But I'm hoping somebody does want to talk about what inspired them to create a game they'll never make a dime off of. Yeah, I'm curious. But anyway, there's some really neat games out there. People are expressing themselves using open source software for entertainment uh, with games. 
And I really appreciate that. It's been fun. And I hope that people continue to create and share in this way. I always love finding games that I can tell the kids, yes, you can go ahead and download ones that I'm not worried about potentially nickeling and diming us because they do enjoy playing different games on their tablets. They do want games on their personal laptops and their personal laptops are nothing exciting when it comes to the hardware. But there are some amazing open source games out there that they can play on their everyday laptop. And if they're into this sort of, what's it called, Matt? Like a JRPG or something like that, or turn-based strategy. I don't really know <laughs> what it's called. You have the definitions of such. Technically, it's a because it's a Japanese RPG, because you're taking the role and playing a game of a trainer. It would be a JRPG. But this one, it's different because it's, you can get into a whole dichotomy of a rabbit hole. But yes, it's a JRPG. But whatever you want to call it, I think the artwork's creative. It's fun. I like the pixel art. It is just a neat game, and I hope that they continue to develop it. It is kind of in an alpha stage. They're still working on some aspects of it, but it's it's definitely playable and even fun to play now. Pokemon has not been a big thing in our house until very, very recently when my daughter started mashing characters from different games and turning them into Pokemon. So I will mm. definitely be showing this to her because... She might be interested in it. Cool. Maybe she can supply some artwork for other character ideas. I think they're looking for that. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, Matt, sounds like you're hard up because you're selling some hardware. What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) No, I am not hard up as you would like to say, Nate. For me, I'm just getting rid of stuff that's just been sitting around or just really doesn't have a use. So why not make some money off it while also giving some deals to some people in the process? Like I had a 10th gen i5 with a 2060 in it. I've literally been sitting on that thing for, I don't think I've turned it on in six months. Hmm. It's one of those machines that just sits around, doesn't do anything. I have a comparable machine with 11th gen i7 and 60, you know, basically the exact same specs, except for it's only got RTX 3050 as opposed to the 2060 whatever performance wise is basically the same and less ram so for me it's just stuff like that where i've been kind of dialing it back as far as what i have um i finally got rid of the ancient workstation that i've been using for at least the past four years and many upgrades to um somebody wanted so i sold that and this will be a nice thing to say i have no windows or mac systems anymore oh you got rid of your mac system huh the only thing close to windows is going to be android <laughs> and it's not even because everybody calls it a non-linux thing or sorry the xbox for me it was just one of those things where it's like i literally spend 99 percent of my time doing what i need to in linux so that also was a contributing factor to me getting rid of a lot of this stuff where it was just like, what use does this machine have? No idea. Well, time for it to find a use or find it at a new home. And it's been finding it a new home a lot lately. It's good to downsize, I think, from time to time, just kind of purge out some of the cruft. Yeah, it is. And for me, like I said, coming to that realization is like, I really don't need this because like all the games and stuff that I play, I can either, if I can't play them on, say, Linux, that's what the consoles are for. Like, that's just my mentality. You know, I got the Steam Deck, I have the Switch, I have all these other consoles that just don't get used. Well, they get used, but you know what I mean, varying degrees. But then I have machines that are gaming capable and they just sit and do no feature, no function. And hey, I was not a fan of Windows 11. Um, You know, when I have a older Ryzen 7 2700X and they're telling me that I can't upgrade to Windows 11, 
when I had Windows on this as a dual boot, uh, it's time for Windows to go for me. I'm not going to knock anybody who uses it. I'm just simply saying for me, it was time for Windows to no longer be a factor. I'm not saying I'm not going to keep up on it because in order to be a technology person, I think it's unwise you not peer over the counter occasionally to see what the other side's doing and just so you can stay up to date enough to poke around at it and speak halfway intelligently about it. technology rubbernecking as it were <laughs> gaming wise you really had no need for a windows system anymore either so is your linux system and then your variety of consoles feeling that need without having to have a windows system in the house yes a really short answer yes yes <laughs> If I want to do like high end gaming that I can't like if I want RTX or any of that stuff, I have the highest end Xbox. That's its whole thing. It's like HDR and you know, HDR 10 and RTX and all the other ray tracing stuff. I have the RTX cards. Some games work with it in Linux, others don't. That's what the Xbox is for. Like I have a gaming laptop that literally sits on my desk next to my tower. I'm trying to remember the last time I fired up a game and probably when I did the 24 hour stream back in, you know, a while ago. June. Which we'll get into as far as that. Uh, <laughs> okay, I will bring it up then. <laughs> Before I get lambasted about that. <laughs> Windows, it just wasn't needed anymore the multiplayer games that i play don't require a lot of the dumb things i'm not a valorant player i'm not a destiny 2 player if i want to play destiny 2 i'll fire up a ps4 for me it's a non-factor anymore and i'm fine with that as far as my attitude for the linux gaming it's very steam deck oriented this is like i'll go and or a few lines in the manned options or, you know, the launch options, or I'll change a version of Proton. But other than that, I'm not a big plus and must kind of gamer. I'm like, okay, I'll change two or three versions of Proton. You still don't work. I'm just moving on and going to play another game. Like, I'm not going to work for my entertainment. Some people find working to get entertainment to work the entertainment i'm not one of them i'm in that camp which is totally cool like <laughs> props to you guys you guys are the ones that solve headaches i'm just not the one that's willing to put up with them i get it i get it i have noticed it seems like since acquiring the steam deck you have been speaking of purging hardware more often so has the steam deck filled the gap in a few different areas of machines you had i don't know if i would say it filled in per se i have a switch and in typical Nintendo fashion, the Switch exclusives are good, but the Steam Deck for me is one of those, I have an option in portables now. So it's like, do I want a better experience that potentially is either going to be on the Switch or is it going to be on the Steam Deck? Well, if it's on the Switch, generically, I can know what to expect. I can expect a cell phone level processor trying to run a higher end game. <laughs> generically how I view it. There's going to be trade-offs and limitations. There's the resolution, there's frame caps, there's slowdown, there's muddier graphic. Take your pick. There's a myriad of compromises you have to make for that. On the other hand, it means I'll get better battery life than I say on the Steam Deck, which I can turn all that up, but at the cost of battery life. So it's, you know, it's one of those kind of catch-22s for me where it all really depends. Generically, though, when it comes to mobile gaming, non-Nintendo games are like, Stuff I'm playing on PC, yeah, the Steam Deck has kind of become my de facto gaming device away from, like, the tower as opposed to what it used to be, which was the gaming laptop. And the Steam Deck, do you use it in handheld mode or in a docked mode? Because I know you got the dock. Well, I have the low-end dock. I'm, I'm cheap. For those that are wondering, it's the JSOC. I think it's the HB604. It just came out with a new one that actually has um, a M2 slot, by the way, Nate. I don't need another dock. No, but I'm saying the dock <laughs> in of itself can take the M2 SSD drives, the NVMe drives. Oh, wow. Underneath it, just so when you plug it in, you now have up to two terabyte drive underneath when you mount the dock as a console. Just saying. Interesting. 
I wonder how well <laughs> Steam OS handles that. Uh, probably about as well as it does in the micro SD card stuff, so fairly well, probably, if I had to guess. But anyway, the Steam Deck is, I don't want to say it's changed the way I game, it's more situational. It's great as a console, given my living space is limited. So having that one console, ironically, a PS4 controller that I use on it, and just kind of being able to set that on the limited space that I have is really, really helpful. It all depends on the situation, honestly. You probably don't do anything with emulation. I never hear you talk about that, so there's probably no older systems besides maybe the Wii U that you have. The only one that I will be trying, I haven't really gotten into, like, EmuStation or any of those yet, um, or EmuDeck or whatever. I'm just not generically my thing, and you're right. If I did any emulation, it'd probably be the Wii U if I did any emulation stuff. Which do note, uh, CMU did go open source finally, so they are providing Linux builds now, too. I'm sorry, what, what open source? C C M U, which is the Wii U emulator for PC. Oh. They just went open source, so no longer requires Wine, Linux native builds. Nice. Just an FYI there. I wonder how well that'll work on the uh, Steam Deck. Don't know. I really don't know. I have not looked at it. Anyway, I'm not talking about the Steam Deck because Wendy's probably bored out of her skull. <laughs> sorry, Wendy. Actually, while you guys were talking about that, I was working on code for my robot. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> At least you're being multitasking oriented. She probably represents the third of the audience that just kind of tunes out when we start talking about the Steam Deck. Well, it plays well into what we're going to be talking about because, yes, fanboys, not going to lie. I will totally admit my bias there. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, well, let's say complex, especially for a guy like me. But standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. Predictable pricing, robust product documentation, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. Get support at every stage of growth, from teams of one... So just you, two teams of a thousand with simple, powerful cloud computing and growing at DigitalOcean. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the Tux digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, Go to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Go to do.co slash tux2022. So now that we have been fanboying and fanging, well, fanboying, let's be honest, because Wendy has no interest in the Steam Deck whatsoever, we figured it was a good time to talk about being a fanboy or fangirl and the problems that it brings up, because a lot of times people really don't want to talk about it. And I think, Nate, you would be the other epitome of a fanboy, not going to lie. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's green and as a chameleon or a gecko, gecko, however you want to pronounce it. Well, I think the different stages of fanboyism, when you're totally blinded by your own bias, or you just have a bias toward it, if that makes any sense. Like, for instance, yes, I am quite the fan. I have an almost an healthy obsession with the OpenSUSE project, but not so much as to say that I also don't see its problems as well. So I think that you could accuse me of being a fanboy of OpenSUSE, but I'm not going to spout off things like, you know, OpenSUSE is the only distribution and everyone should use it because I think that's ridiculous. 
there are things it won't do as well for some people as what I think OpenSUSE does for me. I'm definitely a huge fan. I mean, I write about it enough. So I think guilty is charged. Well, yeah, it doesn't do all the things that Arch does. So, you know, it's perfectly okay to admit that. Like it doesn't break on <laughs> updates. You're right. It doesn't do the Arch thing. So you're right. <laughs> Everyone knows you're a fanboy because you have the almost unhealthy obsession with OpenSUSE. And you found lots of really great things you like about that distribution. That's why it's the one that you go to. But I wouldn't say you're blinded by it because I have heard you recommend other distributions to people based on their specific needs. And I think that's where being a major fan of something can, I don't want to say dangerous, but it can get to be a turnoff for other people where this is the distro, this is the only distro you have to use, this one, nothing else is good. And they'd be like, well that's great. Like it's fine, but it doesn't completely work for me. And then you'll have people step away from the community or not try it out in the first place, regardless of what it is, because that one person is just so overpowering in their presentation, their fanisms of it. I've had people reach out to me and ask about OpenSUSE and I help them walk through some issues and, and getting going with it. And later on, they said, well, it just didn't work for me. I'm really sorry. And, and so forth. I'm like, don't be sorry. I'm not offended by it. If it doesn't work for you. I mean, it doesn't work for you. I like a particular kind of shoe called a Vibram five finger shoe. It works great for me. Does it work for most people? Probably not, but I'm quite I'm one a fan of the of few people that shares that love. So right. I totally get it. I walked six hours at a zoo earlier today wearing the Vibram five finger shoe and I feel great. I don't have problems as a consequence of walking for so long, but that may not be right. for everybody. I think there's nothing wrong with necessarily being a fan or even a huge fan or having an almost unhealthy obsession with something, so long as it doesn't go so far as to blind you and think that it's like the only way, like some kind of a cult where you can't see outside of that. And I think that's where it becomes a problem. Yeah, I'm definitely in the same boat as you, Nate. I think what I have found, like we all have our preferences and bias. We can't discount that. So like you, I personally have more of a, an affinity for using something like Garudaletics because it just works for everything I've put it through personally. But that does not mean I view it as the right solution for everybody. You know, if you need a gaming distro that is desktop oriented, try Nibara. May You know, it's the one that's maintained by Goris Agrol. If you're looking for like consoleized experience, I think it's hollow. OS, if I remember correctly, they uses like the Steam Deck image for trying to get Steam Deck stuff, the Deck UI onto other hardware besides the Steam Deck. We use Chimera OS, uh, you know, so I definitely understand where you're coming from when it comes to the blinders can be hard to remove sometimes, especially when a project, company, product, etc., is saying all the right things or doing all the right things and you become that fan. You become that diehard and you can't, you buy into the hype basically of something. It doesn't matter what it is. To Wendy's point, I think it is kind of dangerous though, because it can turn off a lot of people, especially when you like this weird militaristic, like this is the right way and the only way. And it's like, eh, that's kind of, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, individual choice and freedom and that kind of stuff is a weird thing when it comes to technology or anything really. So if we want to go the console route, just because I'm one of those, there's a reason I have an Xbox, a PS4, a Switch, you know, I don't use Windows currently, but like 
generically, I'm not against using it either. It's one of those things where I recognize the problems in Linux. Linux has its flaws as a ecosystem, as an OS, etc. But everything else that I've just mentioned also has points and problems and flaws. And to deny those that those exist is doing a disservice to yourself and to people you make those recommendations to because you're overselling the experience. Well, Windows can definitely be bad. I recently helped a lady get Windows 7 off a laptop of a close oh. friend of hers. Oh, I'm and sorry. And that system was not allowed to touch my network. Ouch. Oh, you're one of those people, huh? <laughs> you have my sympathies. Yes, I'm one of those people. And Linux Mint is definitely not my favorite distribution. Like, I so wanted to put something else on there, but... That's what she wanted on there for this particular person. And I was happy to help get that distro on there for her and get Windows 7 off of that laptop. I had someone recently ask me what Linux distribution they should try. They, they got a computer and they want to put Linux on there. And of course, immediately I want to say, you know, OpenSUSE because I am, I'm a fan. With an unhealthy obsession. Almost, almost <laughs> unhealthy obsession. I mean, let's, let's be clear, or at least let me live in my, my own delusions. Okay, Matt? Anyway, and so I actually recommended going Fedora or Ubuntu, or Kubuntu, I should say, because of the experience that you're going to have out of the gate. I also recommended Pop! OS as well. I think they have a very complete experience. Like It's a well-made product, so I think all of them. My apprehension to OpenSUSE Tumbleweed was you do have to go and drop down in a terminal to do updates. And I didn't want to recommend a distribution that required you to go into a terminal to do the updates. If that were fixed in OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, there was a way that either PackageKit could handle it with a graphical front end or maybe a separate updating tool that would be included. That I could recommend OpenSUSE Tumbleweed to a new user, but until that's really ironed out, I don't feel comfortable recommending it to a, a new Linux user. Yeah, and this is a little bit off topic, but I would refrain from recommending Fedora to a new user too, just because of needing to add the extra repositories to get so much of the stuff that doesn't actually come with the Fedora repo. So if I was setting it up for them and then got those repos installed, I'd have no problem handing that system over for somebody to use, but I would not be recommending it for somebody who wasn't comfortable with any of that to install it on their own. I think that's fair. The big issue for recommending Fedora was that when you install it, you do have a complete system and they do have the multimedia codecs and such that are installed by default now. I didn't run into any issues the last time I tried Fedora with needing additional repositories. So I'm not sure what I missed. Should I get any complaints? I'll definitely say, whoops. I needed VLC <laughs> to play a video yesterday while we were at a robotics team and I didn't have the additional repos set up on that Fedora system yet and had to go install them so I could download VLC because it was not in the Fedora 36 repos. Hmm. Well, now I know. Annoying is half the battle. Yo, Joe. <laughs> I think one of the other issues with being a fanboy slash fangirl is sometimes your entire arguments are emotionally driven and you refuse to look at the actual facts. And I think that's when it's gone extremely too far in one end. I mean, you can be passionate about something, you know, it can be toolkit, a brand of hardware or desktop environment or distribution. But if you refuse to look at actual issues, and maybe 
if they're not actual issues for you, then just need to recognize those aren't issues. Like, you know, some people who, for whatever reason, like Gnome, Gnome is a very Gnome experience. So if people like the Gnome experience, you know, go for it. But in order for me to use Gnome, I have to do a lot of things, jump through a lot of hoops to make it the way I want my desktop to feel. The flow of the desktop, as it were. And when I can't do those things, it becomes frustrating. And so I choose something that works better for me, which is, you know, Plasma and has been Plasma for many years. But for someone just to say, spot off platitudes about why something is better, that doesn't do anybody any good. Platitudes are not solutions. Platitudes are just, well, platitudes. Yeah, it's like, as much as of a fan of Plasma as I am, I am well aware of its inherent issues to say that it totally plays nice with Wayland, as an example. It's getting there. Gnome's ahead, though, to be brutally honest. Oh, sure. Absolutely. That's a realist point of view. And that's as a Plasma user who... I tried Gnome. I tried Pop! OS for a good, what, six, seven months, probably, after our, the last time Arch blew up on me. Which, yes, nay, I am willing to admit that Arch is not for everybody. <laughs> if you ever drove a Camaro in the 80s, the Arch is a little bit like a 700R4 transmission. It's like a grenade with its pin pulled. It's going to go off. You just don't know when. For me, Gnome and... Like in your case, it takes way too much configuration for me to even make it usable for me. Right. Just as a small thing in GNOME, where you have the application launcher at the very bottom of the, um, I guess, the favorites or whatever. In order to move everything, you actually have to go get an extension to move that to the top. That to me is like so backwards. You mean I can move applications around in the favorite, but and actually to launch all the applications, you're anchoring the start all applications menu to that point and i can't move that around in the favorites that makes no sense to me well a little stuff like that so for me gnome doesn't work but for other people it totally does i'm gonna say these are the pros and cons if you want something simple if you only use one application at a time and that kind of stuff that's more the gnome way of doing things the dynamic desktop is probably actually the i'm not gonna lie i do like that implementation but overall Gnome's experience is very different than Plasma. Plasma is, as we like to say, Nate, you know, Linux puts the personal back in computing. Plasma does that on the GUI end of things, I think is appropriate to say. Right, exactly. And the other issue that I have with Gnome is, you know, I want to do very simple little tweaks to adjust some things, and there are no options for it. And so the answer is, well, you have to install Gnome tweaks. So I have to install a completely different control application that's totally separate from the control center that's already in there to control the things I want to control. For me, it just falls on my face. But on the same note, we can also look at Plasma and say, does it actually live by, you know, simple by design or powerful when needed or something along those lines is the, the tagline. I don't remember the exact marketing tagline for Plasma, but it's like, no, some of the defaults in Plasma are not good. <laughs> like if you install a base Arch system with a base package of Plasma, that is not going to be a great experience because some of the defaults are just silly. Oh, sure. I agree that a lot of those defaults in Plasma, I don't care for, but I've seen other defaults that people use. And I think that some are more sensible than others, but I don't like any of them. So there's also that, you know, like it doesn't matter. I'm not going to be satisfied anyway. In fact, my defaults that I had like a year ago, I'm not satisfied with now either. So for me, it's a moving target and I'm never going to be satisfied with my desktop. What Nate is saying is he is extraordinarily picky and he's never going to be happy. No, no, it's not picky. It's fickle. I am fickle. <laughs> oh, you're fickle. Okay. <laughs> I got a better one. Now if uh, OpenSUSE could just fix the Wi-Fi portion of their installer. <laughs> So I actually have good news on that. They're actually building an easy install. I think it's called something like D-Installer, D-D, 
something. I can't remember the name of it. It's a way to put me on the spot. They're doing a more like a friendly route install that's less sysadmin and more typical user installer. It's been making good progress. So yes, that will be fixed, Matt. And then you can stop whining about it. I've been whining about it for like, what, five years? Well, for as long as I've known you. So yeah, about five years, six years. Hey, eventually it'll (laughs) change. I'll keep banging the drum until something changes. As much as I rag on OpenSUSE and stuff, there are things I do like about it. The open build service, a lot of the packaging, and it has a better rolling mentality than, say, Arch, which can break things. (laughs) Can break things. However, as a user, the initial impression of OpenSUSE, regardless of Tumbleweed or, uh, what's the other one, Nate? I'm used to the rolling one. Leap. Leap, yeah. Okay. Regardless of that, the initial impression is still not great for a new user with the current installer. That is what turns personally me off. So as much as I know you love OpenSUSE, but again, this is getting down in the weeds and stuff. It, we are able to recognize the difference between being a fanboy or an overzealous fan of something. Understand that we have <laughs> these products and these things have weaknesses, which unfortunately when you are a fanboy or fangirl, and you just refuse anything other than your choice. And you uh, you only look at the pros and you disregard all the cons. All of them. There's another degree of fanboyism that I really dislike. And that's when somebody is so condescending of another project or product or, or anything. Let's say all Matt actually did was really harp on me and just say uh, nothing but OpenSUSE was garbage. One, you know, he just pokes fun like, you know, like a brother would, I would say. I mean, so Matt is the drunken abusive brother. But anyway, there are... Um... Hey, do you need a bleep for this episode? <laughs> you know, I think I'll be creating one. Yeah. Because you're not getting one right there. <laughs> anyway, if someone is so condescending of a project and can't see at all the good in something else and just has to tear something else down, I think that's when that fanboyism is totally blinded, that they're kind of lost, I would say. You know, and it could be anything. It's, I mean, this has been a thing. I remember in my uh, early days of life, there was the battles between the different computer platforms of the 8 and 16-bit era, or even like the Nintendo-Sega battles and whatnot. And now, rivalry is fun, but if, as someone who played Super Nintendo growing up, absolutely hated and despised Sonic, you know, at, at every level, and just couldn't see any good about Sonic, I think that would be extremely bad, because it's a different style of gameplay, it's a platformer as well, of course, you know, but it's, it's faster. It's more a different kind of athletic jump around style game. And it was fun. Maybe not my cup of tea, but, but just to harp on it and say it's garbage, I think is very myopic and, and looking at things from a very low resolution standpoint, 16 bit. So, yeah. Hey, I will say this. If you ever thought that or said that, you and Wendy would not be on the same podcast right now. Oh, good point. That's right. Yeah, definitely. Because I totally grew up with Sonic. Love Sonic. Sonic is a key game character in our household. But I never hated the Nintendo. It never was like that. Though I did hear from other people that, yeah, Nintendo's the best. And I was like, you know, whatever. For one, that was the console we had. My parents weren't buying another one. So it didn't matter whether Nintendo was quote unquote the best. And I have learned to like or play some of the Mario games in the past. I really like the way you're going with that and the overall theme that you're using with that in games. Because it's definitely easier to see how silly it is 
to not like somebody because of a gaming system. It's very silly to not like someone because of the operating system that they use or the distro that they use or getting all huffy and puffy because it's not the one you absolutely like. Yeah, and there are also the Commodore 64 versus Apple II and Atari 800 series computers as well. And they're all just silly. I mean, rivalry's fun, but just to outright hate something just because it's not what you have. I don't know how to solve for that, but it's just, it's very unhealthy. There can be this really fun, playful rivalry like Nate and Matt have on this show. It's just a lot of fun. They have fun off air. They have fun together on air. It's always in good fun. But if it was serious, if they actually didn't like each other, if it was meant to be harsh, that's something completely different. So we do enjoy those playful rivalries. It makes both the different systems better that they can laugh and nitpick at each other. And was like, oh yeah, well I fixed this here. I made this better there, you know, whatnot. Instead of the degrading of whatever that gaming system, distribution, operating system, keyboard, whatever it is. <laughs> keyboard, yes. The keyboard wars of 1997. I think, it, no, I'm just kidding. I, I don't know. I know I am a major fan of the mechanical keyboards. I personally don't care to own another rubber dome keyboard. I don't want one of those. I don't really want one in my house except for the ones that are built into laptops. Like, but I don't want an actual keyboard keyboard that isn't mechanical. Not saying that you don't love your rubber dome keyboard, that it's not the best for you, but I'll just keep my mechanical one. Thank you very much. Totally understand that. I I was actually watching a keyboard build the other day where they use ceramic keycaps and all I could think of, oh my gosh, I want to touch them. Can I push the buttons? (laughs) And I can't do that through the computer screen. Well, you can sort of. You'll just be touching a screen with buttons on it that don't exist. Close enough. Yeah, that I can't actually feel what the ceramic keycaps feel like. Well, you didn't ask for that. (laughs) What's the benefit of ceramic keycaps? They were a little bit heavier for one, so you had to use a heavier switch with them. But the way the light came through them was absolutely gorgeous. And keep this in mind, I am not a fan of rainbow vomit either. But I do love a backlight keyboard, and the way the light came through them was really nice. You could have different textures, different glosses, like a myriad of different finishes on them. And I just was curious to try them out. Like it wasn't a thing that I knew existed. And once I knew it existed, I just needed to touch them. Hmm. I still need to touch them because I haven't yet. Well, now I'm curious. I have to look this up now. It's probably more sustainable than plastic. As long as, you know, you're not throwing them around, I think they'd probably hold up fantastic. The ones that were in the review had no print on them at all, which I couldn't do that. I'm not that great of a typer. I still have to look down at my keyboard sometimes to find things. So I would still need labels on my keycaps. But depending on the glaze that was put on them, they could probably last forever. Yeah, I think that's a really cool idea. Ceramic keycaps are nothing. Anyone who uses plastic (laughs) keycaps, that's garbage. So the question is, can you admit your fanboy or fangirlism for uh, us down in the comments? What are you a fan of or do you see your biases and are you able to take the pros and the cons? Let us know down in the comments below. Commodore 64 was the best computer of the 1980s. 
Anything else is just garbage. Oh, hold on. I already have my segue. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords, and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com TUX to get started for free. If you're like me though, you want to show your appreciation for this awesome open source project by signing up for that premium edition, especially since it starts at just $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. While we were just talking about being fanboys and fangirls of things, Nate, you seem to be trying to make fanboy and fangirlism a thing generationally for your family. Because you are the biggest fanboy I know of for the Commodore 64. I mean, you have a well, multiple imposter machines at this point. Only one is an imposter. The other is kind of a reimagining of the Commodore 64 using ARM emulation, stuff like that. The 64 or the C64. Anyway, so I think I talked about it was episode 28. How do you value your time with tech? When we talked about that, I talked about how I decided to phone an expert and get my Commodore 64 boards that I've been working on on and off the last couple of years fixed. Well, I got them back. They, of course, work. It was really nice to have my very first actual Commodore 64 computer functional again. I got to play games on it like I once did, although with an SD card, not a floppy drive. I do have the floppy drive. I just didn't test it on that. And it was nice to have that one working again. The computer that formed my formidable years of technology usage for many years. And so it's just nice to have that again. And yeah, my oldest, he helped me put them back together. He actually helped me clean the cases, make them all nice and pretty and put these back together. And so it was very exciting to have these machines running again, since I was actually down to one actual Commodore 64 that was functional. Glad I phoned an expert or emailed an expert, I guess, or messaged an expert on the internet. Trusted a stranger, a guy named Bill, actually, out in Utica, New York, who did the work, told me everything that he fixed and sent them back to me. I couldn't be happier several hours of work to get it all done. And yeah, we played uh, some games, some old games as a family, actually, on the Commodore 64. It cost me all of $175 plus shipping to get done. So I think it was worth it. So Nate, see, that's not being a fanboy though. Though you did priorly state C64 was the only good machine from the 80s. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I have a bunch of them from the 80s. So, so we'll disregard that particular fanboyism there. <laughs> It's always fun when you're able to take things that you enjoyed and share them with, you know, those that are close to you, you know, kids, other family members, friends, etc. And, you know, make kind of a social kind of event with it and have fun doing it and all that kind of stuff. So that's really fun to always see and do. So that's not fanboyism. That's just uh, passing along an enthusiasm that you have for that particular. I think there might be something wrong with my oldest though, because for Christmas, he says he wants, I think it's a Game Boy Slim or something like that. And so I don't know where he gets this like for old technology, but 
I mean, why would you want a Game Boy Slim? Just get a new one. No, there's never any old <laughs> technology in your house. Where's this bad influence coming from? <laughs> <laughs> I can take a wild stab at that. I blame the ducks. The ducks that are roaming around the property, quacking. So, Wendy, you've tried something new, something called pie bricks. I have talked about them on the show before. This is a really cool open source project where you can use an open source version of MicroPython on several different kinds of robots. They have a lot of stuff out there for the EV3 robots. If you have one, if you can get your hands on one, there's the most documentation for those. But I did try it out on my Spike Prime, which is also the same as the Mindstorm if you have either one of those hubs. It is in beta, though, so it's not as easy in order to get the firmware flash on your device. One of the things that I found really cool is it doesn't completely wipe the stock proprietary firmware that comes with the hub. It saves it in a little file, and then if you want to put the original Spike Prime firmware back on there, you do a little bit of command, and you're back to where you are, which I am currently on the original Spike Prime firmware at the moment. I want to get Pybricks working, which I currently don't have obviously working right now. I couldn't get my motors to go and I'm not sure if there was something that I was doing wrong because it said that the command should be pretty much the same from before, but there's a lot of documentation that's currently missing for the Spike Prime. Like I said, it's still in beta. They are working on it, but that means that documentation and getting things installed, uninstalled, or a little bit more. You got to do a little bit more digging in order to get it to work. So I will reflash Pybricks again on it, try and get a little bit of help, try and get that running. The beta version of their software, so you are writing your code from a web app currently, and they do have it now on the beta version where it'll autofill things. So you set that this is your motor and you want your motor to, you know, you start typing move, it'll help autofill for that. So that is really, really nice. I think that is an extremely important feature. I wish that there was a extension or something so I could do that directly in VS Code or another coding application but I love what they're doing with this project. I really want to make it work because one of the advantages of Pybricks over Spike Prime is they actually have more options instead of less. Lego is really wanting to kind of help narrow things down in a way to help make it easier to learn to code and Pybricks wants you to have the full functionality and open source software on your hardware. And so I will be playing with this some more. Beginner errors, I didn't get it to work this time, but it will not be the last time I tried to get it installed and working. So if you were to use this for like the first LEGO League competitions, is that a little bit like cheating though? Because you have a tricked out different firmware, kind of like hot rodding your uh, LEGO robots? Absolutely not. One of the ways I found out about this was a team shared on YouTube, a team video, that they shared that they were using Pybricks and why they chose to use it. So there's other teams out there 
that are already using it. It doesn't necessarily make your robot better, but you as a coder, it gives you more control. It gives the kids more options, which can be overwhelming. Don't get me wrong. When you're looking at it and saying, oh, I have all these ways to do that, it can be overwhelming. And Lego tries to help calm that down a little bit. But this year, the robot really is all about super fine motor skills, doing very delicate tasks. I would really love to have that availability on the robot. Plus, it's another one of those reasons why I want the kids to learn the right way from the beginning instead of learning it necessarily the Lego way, which in talking to Neil, the way that stuff is imported in the Lego app is the wrong way. And the way I'm now doing it in VS Code is quote unquote, the right way. So when a kid leaves our Lego team and they go to do something else in Python, they won't be like, but that's the way I learned it Hmm. and then have to relearn it. Well, I wonder what the differences are, but that's probably a discussion for another time. But yeah, I agree. I think learning it the right way initially is probably better. So I wonder what their reasoning for doing it a different way is. It sounds like, especially in talking to my other mentor, that there's a lot of issues like that for the Java they have to use to code their robot. So for the older team, they code in Java. They have to use Android Studio in order to do that. And she said, there's a lot of things that are done the Android Studio way in Java that you wouldn't do anywhere else, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. If you've been using Java for years as part of your robot program, wouldn't you want them to take those skills that they built over the years and go directly to a career with that instead of going, now I have to relearn these things because this command doesn't work the same way. This import doesn't work the same way elsewhere. Yeah, I agree. But I'm just me. And I'm not changing Android Studio anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) We've already had a ton of game talk on this show, but I guess I'm ready for a little bit more. What do you have for us this week, Matt? You sound so begrudging when you say that, Wendy. We'll just blame it on the stuffy nose, the stupid cold that I have. I'm begrudging about it. So we can blame it on Magneto? Yes, because he's the one I got it from. So the game I have for recommendation is a rated M game. It is ironically with the release of the Rings of Power on Amazon. I figured it was appropriate to make a recommendation for Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, which is kind of like a prequel to the other Middle Earth settings, shall we say. It is a 3D open world game that is very much in the Batman Arkham Asylum style of combat. So it's about stealth, taking down enemies from a distance and trying to, you know, pick at them as they show up. There is a interesting system called the Nemesis system, which kind of it's really kind of a hard system to explain, but essentially it makes it so that more you encounter a particular boss, they kill you. Uh, they become stronger. So therefore everything kind of moves up in a hierarchy. Or if you kill somebody off that was a boss, a lieutenant will take over. So they're weaker. It's an interesting kind of on system that they have for it basically. But the reason I recommend this game was because they have the game of the year edition and it is out now on GOG, which awesome. I picked it up on GOG for five bucks. I think. And it's also available on Steam. So the game of the year edition includes everything. So it includes all the DLCs and everything else that were made available. Now do note that there are some online components that were taking out of the GOG version and there were some 
online components that were sunsetted, I think late 2020 for uh, some of the online stuff, but it's not central to the game. They were just kind of add-ons like leaderboards and a few other things, nothing drastic. Well, it's definitely a newer style of game. I don't think I would uh, see this being played on my Commodore 64 at all. <laughs> Probably not for family game night either, I'm thinking. No, definitely not. Definitely nope. not. Nope. But if you are a fan of, like, Lord of the Rings and that kind of stuff, it is definitely worth getting, I would say, personally. Right, right. And I do like Lord of the Rings and Scary Potter. Do you like Scary Potter? Scary Potter? Eh. Oh, I'm Harry Potter, yeah. I'm indifferent. <laughs> Those are fun themes. That's one that I hear great things about all the time, but we've never read the books or watched the movies, so... Uh... I like the Lego sets. As far as Harry Potter goes. For all of it, I, I like the Lego sets. That's where I lean. <laughs> That's where it's fun. I never play with Legos. I have no idea what you're talking about. I know. You know what Legos are. <laughs> Nate, I thought it was Lego, not Legos. You're right. It is Lego. It's Lego bricks. <laughs> That's how you're supposed to say it. But I've turned what Lego into a, instead of being a proper noun, it's a noun. <laughs> So anyway, if you do end up buying this, I believe the Steam version, if you're on Linux, is still available. There was a native build for this, but the Feral license expired, so they had to pull the support, like the actual like branding and stuff that it was, you know, Linux and macOS supported, etc. But I believe if you buy it and you try installing it on Linux, it's going to download the native Linux builds, if I'm not mistaken. What about the GOG version? The GOG version is totally Windows. I am actually... Checking that after I get off this show to figure out if it actually works on Linux or not. <laughs> Be brutally honest. Since you now no longer have a Windows system? Well, like I said, I know the Steam version works. I just don't know the uh, GOG version, so I can't comment on that. Yet. Yet. I do throw in the GOG version for those who do prefer the uh, DRM-free aspects of it, though. This was a fun game that I enjoyed playing. Looks graphically nice, so if you like the Batman Arkham... Asylum games and that style of combat, you will definitely like this because it's also got kind of like an Assassin's Creed feel to it because there's like parkour and all that kind of stuff too. Not gonna fall into any of your guys' wheelhouse, and I know that. And I'm totally no, okay with it that. won't. But probably somebody else's. That's the whole point. <laughs> I'm sure there is somebody that looks forward to your game recommendations every week, and they are just absolutely thrilled with this one. While I do very much enjoy the Lord of the Rings movies, we own all of them. I think we even have the original cartoon version of The Hobbit. So, I do very much enjoy them, but this is not my kind of game, and that is completely fine. Because I will fangirl about the other puzzle games <laughs> when they come up. <laughs> or the Lego games. Lego games are awesome. They're the best. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Like Linux out loud. Man, I wish we were part of a team. <laughs> oh, we are part of a team. Nate doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw one of those in there, Nate. I like it. Now it's your turn to toss into your two cents on today's topic. Hit the, the discourse forums, drop us a line under this video, or use the contact form by visiting textdigital.com dot com slash contact if you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media platforms see the links at the bottom of the show description you can find other great shows like hardware addicts gamesphere Linux saloon and many more at tuxdigital.com make sure to show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the tux digital merch store grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer centric i pause my game to be here shirt total favorite of mine or join hashtag team wendy with some sinister wendy swag he's evil don't let her fool you <laughs> i mean Whoops, that slipped. As always, we thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banner friendly, the conversation eh, somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. 